Blog Talk Radio. I'm a Gubalato, I'm a Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the 800 pounds of Gorilla Funk in the room. Cop, 
like she does. I'm welcome to the country. I'm going ahead and bring on Barbara Country Queen Lace right quick. Barbara Country Queen Lady. What's going on, Barbara? Hey, you know, just chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you doing well, Barbara? I am doing fine. How are you? Oh yeah, you know how we do. Just uh, it's Friday. You just you know just doing what it do. That's right. Whatever that means, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> you know, I got the giggles today for no reason. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Sometimes you need that. All right, let's right. let's go on ahead and bring on Cream Dale Herbert. Dale Herbert. Hello. How you doing? Now Daryl Herbert, you got a lot of things going on for you as a as a poet mm-hmm. and author. Uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, what you got going on, all the publicity you've been getting, all the awards, all the uh, all the great things that's popping with you? Let the people know, and then Barbara's going to talk to you. Well, just recently I've been awarded the Five Star Writer Award from NY Literary Magazine. And that is an award bestowed upon two display excellent writing and poetry, and they're just very talented in what they do. Oh, oh yes, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, and, um, and plus, uh, you can check out more of uh, of his poetry on Southeast Hip Hop. You can check it out on the Blacktopia mobile app. Uh, it's going to be on Black Vibes, too. Uh, it's going to be on C- some of his poetry. is going to be featured on CW Music, actually, tonight. Uh, so, so yeah, just keep checking up, checking out for him. Um, well, enough of me talking. Let me step back and let Barbara and Daryl talk it out. How you doing, Daryl? Welcome to the country. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Congrats. I mean, yeah, boy, you got a lot of awards. We don't have time to go through all of that, but congrats on all the awards that you recently received. Continued success in your publishing of your work, and now that you're over 90 plus in published poetry, um, the activism that you're still doing, your humanitarian work, and an author. Um, my first question with all the overwhelming success um, the current piece that was published, what's the name of it? The current piece that was published is called Perfect Form. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Perfect Form was written because I feel like as human beings, we're expected to be perfect, whether it's relationships, whether it's a job, whether it's family. And I feel like it's so much pressure to act a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way. And ultimately, no one can achieve perfection. So that's like my ultimate message in the poem. You shouldn't try to reach someone else's perfection. You should just be who you are. And if people don't want to accept you, that's their loss. You shouldn't feel discouraged. You shouldn't feel 
let down, you shouldn't feel like no one cares about you because that's obviously untrue. And with this being the plus 90 piece that you've published, how has this accomplishment affected your growth as an artist and a poet? It's affected my role as an artist and a poet because I feel with success comes a lot of criticism. And I've been given a lot of criticism for my work because it's either too dark or it's too sexual or it's just too aggressive and in your face. But I like to challenge the status quo because I feel that there are so many people who have a voice, who have something to say, but they're too ashamed or discouraged or not having the confidence to share their artistic vision with the whole entire world. So what I'm basically telling people is to just say whatever you feel because you only have one life to live and you want to get your message across effectively and clearly as you want. So just make sure that you say whatever you can while you're still alive because you never know when life is going to end. Recently, other than your poetry, you've moved around in your career. Have you finally found the niche that you wanted to be in? I haven't found a niche per se. It's it, it's still an ongoing process. We're all going through a process. We're all going through our changes and our evolutions day by day, second by second, minute by minute. But for me personally, I feel like I'm not satisfied in terms of my poetry, because there's still something more or less I have to say. There's still another poem that I have to create. Okay. And being a poet, it complements all the other aspects of who you are, the activist, the artist, the humanitarian. But how does the spoken word inspire you in those other areas? It inspires me in those areas because it involves a lot of interactions with the crowd. You have to look at them in the face. You have to really share your story the way you want it to be told. And it also involves a lot of emotions. There's there's a lot of emotions that comes with spoken word. And I feel like in the real world or just interactions in general, you have to be able to evoke certain emotions to people whether it's good or whether it's bad, to get your message across so you could be able to move forward in life. You could be able to gravitate to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Well, how far do you think you've came as a spoken artist? And, I mean, what kind of legacy with all the awards and all the accomplishments, what kind of legacy are you looking forward to leaving your readers? The legacy that I want to leave behind is to basically just be the voice for those who are voiceless. There's so many people who want to sing or want to dance or want to rap, but they don't have the confidence to share their work or their environment is holding them back from expecting themselves. So... I feel that my legacy is to empower those who feel powerless and to just 
give people a reason to be alive, give people a reason to want to do better for themselves. Mm-hmm. And with perfect form being not ominous, I see it as a means to somebody dealing with peer pressure, bullying, and other, you know, negative things that the young people or even adults deal with in their careers and their lives. The creative motivation behind it, as you said, was to speak for them. What about some of the other work that you do? Do they all have that same criteria in mind to speak for the voices? Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Like, for example, I've taken time to speak to people and really listen to them and their stories and just get a different perspective on life in general because we all have a story we want other people to hear. We want other people to understand us. And I feel like we don't really get that. We just want to talk, 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 but we don't really listen to people. We don't really listen. We don't take the time to understand each other. We're so quick to demonize or judge or ridicule someone or how they dress or how they talk or how they walk or who they associate with. And it's just really unfortunate that it has to be that way. So I want people to just listen more. Just just close your mouth and just listen to what people have to say because you never know what they're going through or how they're feeling or what the circumstances are. Mm-hmm. And see, for most of us in the black community, um, where most of your issues touch society in regards to the black so, you know, have you received any feedback where people are saying that you're not a psychologist and yet you have a psychological impact on the people through your poetry? And, I mean, do you do they feel like you're profiting from that? Have anybody ever told you that? Do they feel like you're profiting from something that you're not really versed in? Because you don't have a degree in psychology. Your degree is in health and other, other means of a person's body and mind, but has anybody ever came across to you saying that, you know, you were profiting, profiting off that information? I have. There was this one person that I met, and he spoke about how he made the wrong choices, and he felt like he had to be perfect around his friends who were negative influences on him. And unfortunately, that person went to jail, and they had to really evaluate their surroundings. They had to evaluate who they're associating with. And like I said before, I just listened to him, and uh, and I listened to his story. And, you know, it, it, it really touched me because that could be a person that I know. That could be um, someone that I meet in the future. So I feel like, once I explained my side of the story and I gave him my opinion and I gave him some words of wisdom, he it, he basically removed himself from that situation and now he's doing a lot better. Okay. And poetry is an expression of the mind, the soul, events that character our lives. How do you perceive the art of poetry? I perceive the art of poetry in so many different ways. I feel like it depends on the kind of poet that I'm reading or the spoken word artist that I'm looking at. 
because there are so many works out there that I do not agree with. There are so many works out there where I feel like this isn't relatable. This isn't going to really impact someone else's life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to bring their work down or whatever. I'm just saying, like, there are people going through real stuff and they don't have a companion to talk to. They don't have a friend or a family member they could trust. So with me telling stories of relationships or issues or mental health, it's it's, it's very relatable to people because they go through this kind of stuff on a daily basis. Okay. What about yourself personally? Of all your work I've ever read, is there something personal about you that can be seen you know, written with the ad about you in any of your work that we did not know about you? There's a lot, but you would just have to read between the lines and just really focus on what I'm saying and how I'm saying it and how many times I say it in my piece. So then you could really comprehend on what I'm trying to evoke. And you studied health in college. Truly made you turn away from that setting to focus more on your poetry. Was there some event that made you change to say that you wanted to focus more on your writing and on the spoken word? There were other poets that I've encountered, and there were other writers as well. And they really catapulted my poetry or just the topics that I've chosen to, like, greater lengths. And more poems came out of it and more publications happened and just greater connections with other people like myself, which is a very good blessing in of itself. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed you were interviewed and recognized by a lot of media entities. How has that exposure truly benefited Daryl Herbert himself? It's been a very, very wonderful experience, and I'm just grateful that it happened because a lot of people want that exposure, but they don't get it, or they get it, and then they regret it later on. So I just feel like publicity and exposure there's a lot that comes with it, but as long as you're comfortable with what you do, nothing else really matters. And as a humanitarian, I mean, you've seen the positive and negative impact on the black community. In your words, how does that really affect you? It affects me because I feel like we're so disconnected to each other and we're very quick to really talk down on someone when we don't know their story, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So I feel like, like I said before, we just have to be more understanding and be more patient with each other so we can all find a common ground. And you know poetry is considered a mild form of erotica. There's been a debate about that for years, including the recent one. 
since mostly everybody's now getting into um, an artistic form of poetry where it's more um, expressive through um, sexual means um, and erotica. What do you say to that now? I feel like they can say whatever they want. It's 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 their poem, it's their work, it's their creation. So if it makes someone uncomfortable, if it makes someone feel discouraged, you could talk to that person or just completely, you know, disregard their comment or mm-hmm. just be more understanding of someone else's opinion because sometimes you may not see it but the other person may see it pointed out to you and then you see things from a different perspective but your own. Right. And I mean as an activist and as this world stands right now, I know that you have seen her and probably mentored a lot of people going through a lot of things. In the state of the way things are now, what's one thing you would change as an activist and a humanitarian among your black folks? The way that I see it, I would change the way we communicate with each other. We don't really look each other in the eyes quick to talk over each other or just completely disregard someone else's feelings, opinions, emotions, or just outlook or perspective on life in general and that could be changed on so many levels but we have to be able to really dedicate our time to move forward to that and what about our youth as a known humanitarian and an activist we all have different opinions on what we think um the direction of the youth is gone. I mean, I have my personal opinion on privacy and giving space. Um, most recently, one of my best friends, um, him and his wife, was going through a lot of things. She needs to be an ex-wife, but she refused to leave because she has no help. But she's not helping him take care of the children, and his daughter got picked up for uh, shoplifting, something she'd have never done. She's a straight-A student. Um, and she said peer pressure concocted her to do with such as far as the direction of young people in this country and what you see again among the black communities and all, do you feel that both parties should be responsible if anything happens with the children? Or should the person taking care of them be the only one responsible? Both parties are responsible because they created the the child together. And it shouldn't be one person's fault. It should be equal. If someone does something wrong, the other person helps them out. But it shouldn't be so one-sided. It has to be equal on all levels. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, people will say, I don't know if you're still single at this time, but for a lot of young black men like yourself, successful, handsome, like Jay, they would say that you guys are biased to the black women because you feel like you're picky and that you have high standards that every woman can't meet. Is that true as to why you haven't settled down, have a family? Is that a a reason 
for you guys doing that, that you have high standards and high criteria, or is it just that you already know that you've made your accomplishments and you want someone compatible to stand beside you? What do you think? I feel it's not always high standards in every situation or every case because everyone has their own preferences. Everyone likes certain things about someone else. And if someone doesn't find you attractive in that way, find someone else because there's a whole bunch of other people out there for you. The world is a very big place, so you shouldn't shouldn't confine yourself to one specific person or one specific look or trend or idea. And I want to say that, you know, some of your poetry, you write, if you read between the lines, you see a lot of things. I want to say that some of your poetry were a manual to better relationships and communication between couples. Do you still write that way? I do, but then at the same time, well, my experiences and their experiences, it most likely will differ because everyone goes through things differently. Everyone takes things in a different tone. So when I write a poem about a relationship, whether it's a loving relationship or whether it's a disappointing relationship, everyone should feel like they could resonate with that in some shape or form. You know? They shouldn't feel like they're alone or no one loves them because you are loved even if no one loves you. God loves you. You love yourself. And people have to realize that. People have to realize you don't need someone else to love you to be loved. But, you know, we have a real bad problem in the black society with supporting one another emotionally without it getting out of hand. Um, They don't know how to be platonic without taking things to another level. And especially if that's not what a person needs. If a person just needs your moral guidance, your moral support, um, in this generation it's kind of hard. I've heard a few young ladies and young men say that, you know, you can't talk to anybody nowadays because they, they end up taking things into another direction. So you just end up dealing with things within yourself. What do you say to them when you when you think you have a support system but you can't even trust people um, to talk to because they're always looking for an ulterior motive instead of just, you know, being that, that listening sounding board like you do. You know, they're looking for sex or, you know, some type of opportunity to hurt you. What do you think about that? I feel like they have to strengthen their relationship to God because, Talk to God if you feel angry, sad, or nervous because he's always there. He's always going to support you in your time of need, and he's not going to tell anyone your secrets. Okay. And you know, back in the day, you did a couple of um, other poems, like the one that was loneliness, including myself, Mm -hmm. and you know, um, being a sounding board for the voices, especially the children, uh, for them, suicide, whether it's mass or self-inflicted, has become a very serious tool used um, with our black children because they don't have a support system or they can't cope 
with things that are happening around them, what is something that you can say to them that, you know, can help them out of those situations or, or some poetry that they can read to soothe that pain? Well, for starters, I feel like they could get out of it. Like I said, you have to strengthen your relationship with God. And also you could seek help with therapy or you could talk to suicidal hotline. There's hotlines out there that could assist you and talk to you and let you feel more comfortable about opening up and sharing your thoughts. And also in terms of poetry, I feel like you could read my poetry, like, for example, Perfect Form, or you could read Sylvia Plath's poetry. She's my favorite poet ever. Sylvia Plath is the epitome of wanting to speak out against stuff, but you feel like you can't because you're a woman. You can't say that a man is superior to you. But I, 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 I truly adore her no matter what anyone says about her, whether she's crazy or whether she's suicidal or a psychopath. Like, I could really resonate with what she spoke about in her poetry and how confident she was with exposing her flaws and exposing her downfalls within her relationships with her family or her husband. Okay. And so for you, I mean, with all that I've read on you, personally, what are three top criteria that you look at when you are picking a partner or a mate? What are the top three things? Because here lately, a lot of the young ladies are being misguided um, as to what it is that they need to do in order to attract a young man that's successful like yourself, has a head on right. I mean, we all have our imperfections, but those perfect imperfections make us who we are. And, I mean, I think they're being, you know, misguided, and they have a misconception of what needs to be done in order to have a successful relationship. What are the type three criteria for you that you're looking for in a woman when picking a partner or a mate? The three criteria would be loyalty, trustworthy, and independent. Now, the reason why I say that is because if you can't be loyal, how can I trust you? If if mm-hmm. if I leave, are you still going to be faithful to me? If I go to work or if I leave from the store, will you still be faithful towards me? And trustworthy because I can't trust you if you tell me a lie every single second. I can't build with you if everything you tell me is not the truth. And last but not least, independent, because if you're depending on me for your happiness, that's not going to be achieved because you have to be independent from me because if I'm gone, God forbid, how are you going to be able to survive when I'm no longer there? You're going to be dependent on someone else for your happiness. What are some of the flaws that you see in the women um, in their quest to become somebody's mate or partner? What are three of the top flaws that you see? The three of the top flaws I see is 
they look up to celebrities and their relationships with their partners. They also seem to compare themselves with other people, whether it's friends or whether it's enemies that they don't even like. They compare their single status to their opposing relationship. And the final thing that I believe is a disadvantage that women tend to downplay when it comes to relationships is that they try to have the perfect relationship. They want to have relationship goals, as they say. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't you shouldn't want to achieve those goals because they are not realistic. You shouldn't have to compete with someone else. You should just be happy with who you are and the person that you're with. Okay. Are you working on any current pieces or, you know, have any spoken word engagements to attend coming up? I do, actually. Um, I've been working on a poem called The Strings. And The Strings is basically, like, once again, it's about perfection. Like, the person is pulling your strings. You're not pulling your own strings. So you're Mm -hmm. doing what everyone else wants you to do. You're not doing what you genuinely want to do as an individual, as a poet, as a dancer, as an artist. You're just following what society wants. You're following what your friends want. You're following what you think you want, but you don't. And, I mean, you speak on perfection as if it is a a holy grail, a, a means to uh, a person's betterment. Is it that important to you? Because I know in a lot of your work that I read again, you make that reference to it. Because we, we know within ourselves that we are imperfect, we are impure, no, nobody's perfect. But it seems to be that a lot of, people, like you said, they, they try to take on that means and they, they end up hurting themselves because they can't hold on to it. In every one of your works, you make a reference to that. Is that very important to you to incorporate that in your writing? That is very, very important because I see it so many times, whether it's poetry, whether it's appearance, whether it's academics and I just want people to realize that not being perfect is perfectly fine you have to be able to make mistakes in order to learn you can't get every single question right on the exam you can't get perfect every single time you're not gonna live your life like that you're gonna be very disappointed if you choose or if you want to live your life like that because eventually you're going to fail. Eventually you're going to make a mistake on something. But it's not the end of the world. Mistakes happen. Everyone makes mistakes. And people should be more aware of that. Mistakes are actually a blessing instead of a disadvantage. And it's hard to tell the young women, especially the young black women, those that come from bad backgrounds, they, they see other young ladies, even in black culture, that have what they don't have. And they assume that that's the perfect way to live, not realizing they don't know what these young girls have went through to get whatever they have. They don't know that they've been ignored or abused. They have no idea. They just see their life as something 
perfected. And I mean, I mean, what are some things that we can work on as a black people? Because it's important that we reach these young girls now to let them know that be who you are. Work on who you are and perfect that. Perfect the person that you are, not, you know, try to portray somebody you can't. I mean, how, especially in, in the kind of realm that you work, how can we be able to encourage them to do that, to work on who they are? You have to know yourself before you can become anybody else or even better yourself. How can we help them do that, even from a man's perspective? How can we help them work on themselves? People have to be able to detach themselves from their addictions, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook, whether it's friends or family, just detach yourself. Spend a whole day by yourself and look in the mirror and point out stuff that you like about yourself and point out stuff you don't like about yourself, whether it's your eyes, whether it's your teeth, whether it's your nose. You go work on that. Everything is a process. You you're not going to achieve it overnight. This is a very gradual change. It's going to take time, of weeks, months, years. But once you achieve that goal, you're going to feel so much happier. You're going to feel so much more fulfilled. You're going to feel so much love within yourself. And you wouldn't have to depend on people for your happiness. You wouldn't have to seek out perfection or seek out relationships to feel like you're loved, to feel like you matter, to feel like you're worthy. Of all the pieces that you've created and have had successful accomplishments, what are the top five favorites of all the work you've created? My top five favorites would be Perfect Form, like I mentioned before. Another one would be Omni. Another piece would be racism in America. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and another piece would have to be this girl. And my final piece that I feel like I'm most proud of is exit hearing declarations of. Okay. Now, those pieces that you have that have been um, won awards for, do you have them patented or trademarked so that they can't be plagiarized? Because I know they've had a recent incident um, on the news about the colleges now really tightening up on students doing that. They're taking people work that they're seeing in other um, media forms and rewriting them. Um, revising them to their own work. So for yours that have won awards and I'm quite sure have been put up in places for display, do you have them trademarked or, you know, something on patented so that no one can steal them or rewrite them? Unfortunately, I don't. But honestly, if it happens, that's very unfortunate. And I feel that that's like a low blow to your ability to express yourself, you're taking my words, you're taking my ideas, you're taking my creation and placing it 
as your own. You shouldn't do that. Just like I said before, you're trying to get goals. You're trying to reach perfection. Reach your own perfection. Make your own goals. Don't try to copy me. Copy what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. And has somebody ever tried to get you to do that for them? To plagiarize um, some of your work for them? They have not, unfortunately. And, but a lot of people tend to feel empowered by my work, but there are some people who feel that it's very derogatory or dark or too aggressive, and it mm-hmm. hurts people. It, it, it touches them the wrong way. But at the same time, I want you to feel like that. So you mm-hmm. know how I feel. You know how the other person feels who doesn't have a voice. You know what they're going through. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of folks um, try to put words together um, in spoken word form like you guys, and it feels like you can put a rhyme together and call it a poem, not realizing it has has to take artistic shape, it has to have structure, it has to have breath um, for someone to read and feel the piece. In writing most of your work, have you ever had any writer's block or came across something that you feel like it wasn't good enough? I feel like nothing is ever good enough. It just needs more work. It just needs more time to be perfected. But I've written works, and honestly, I'm like, what is this? You could do so much better. But... That's just my opinion. Other people really loved it. And they made me see things from a different perspective. For example, there was a poem that I wrote called I Am Asking You a Question. And that poem was inspired by an interview that I saw on CNN. Mm -hmm. And it's just people say, oh, you're attacking America. You're not being patriotic and I'm like no I'm just saying how I feel and I mention names but it's not like I actually know these people I just made up names because you're making me feel like I'm invisible you're making me feel like I don't matter or my voice isn't loud enough right I mean you've always had a calm voice it's just you know, and it, sometimes it's soothing depending on the situation. I mean, you know, that's how I know you're a good soundboard for listening because you don't raise your voice. You keep it level, which for a lot of people, if they're excited when they're talking, um, it makes it easier to understand because, you know, they'll calm themselves down when they see they have something calming you. Have you ever done mentoring for any of the young people at any um uh, poet conferences or, you know, spoken word platforms? Have you done any mentoring to the young people? I have, actually. And I've actually helped four poets achieve publication in their works in their own creative realms. They would come to me and say, is this good enough? What can I do better? I don't think it's good. How can I improve it? And I wouldn't tell them anything. I would just be like, 
if you feel like it's not good enough, work on it. If you feel like this isn't your best work, work on it. I'm not perfect. I don't always get published. I get rejected a lot. I get rejected a lot, a lot, a lot, especially behind the scenes, whether it's a magazine, whether it's an online publication, whether it's a feature, you know, people just see, oh, he's getting published all the time. It's not fair. But there's a lot of things that goes on behind the scenes, and you don't see everything that I go through. There's a lot of rejections that come with this. Yeah, how do you it feel about the rejection? How do you feel about it when when a piece is rejected, especially if it's one that you worked on for a long period of time? How do you feel about that rejection? Do you go back and try to fix what may have been wrong with the piece, or do you just say the hell with it and leave the piece as it is that it was just their loss for not wanting to publish it? Truthfully. I used to get very, very angry, and I would feel very discouraged. But as more rejections came, I learned to realize that this is a part of life. No one's going to accept you all the time. You're not going to get your job every time you apply for a job. You're going to get rejected, but that's perfectly fine because there's someone or there's something or there's another publication out there for you. That's a perfect mm-hmm. fit for you and your work and what you're saying. Wow. For instance, for example, I wrote a poem called Disease as Feel, and it got rejected from a magazine. But I was like, should I just delete this poem? Should I work on it? But I left it as it was. And then I resubmitted it to another publication, mm-hmm. and eventually it got accepted, and it was actually read by an actress and it was actually made me get more publicity in terms of my work, in terms of my message. And it had a lot of curse words in it, honestly. It had a lot of curse words, but that's just my message. And the people who accepted it really, really loved it. They said it was a fantastic poem that I should continue my work and I shouldn't feel like I'm discouraged or my work is too aggressive. They really, really love that. What is your purpose for some of the pieces? Because I know that they touch on a lot of aspects of life. And if you're really reading them with, you know, the intent for understanding, you find a lot of you hidden in a lot of that work. But what is the true purpose that you sit down and take your time and come up with the material to put it together in spoken word form. What is your purpose for that? My purpose is to just give people a voice who feel like your voice does not matter or your voice isn't loud enough. Because I remember this one time I was in a circle of people. We would read our works. And there was this girl... And she read her work, but her voice was very, very low. Her voice was very calm. It it wasn't loud and aggressive. But the poem itself, it was very, very confident. It was very, very bold and just in your face. And I loved how calm she was. She didn't raise her voice. She didn't change her voice to appeal to the audience. She just remained who she was. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So what I'm basically saying is just tell your story to the world. Just let your story be known. But the thing is, when I write my poems, I don't necessarily like writing about one specific thing. I like mixing three, five, six, seven topics into one poem because you get a taste of everything in one and that's your niche. That's one of the niches right there because, I mean, that's kind of hard to do. That's why I said, I mean, I know it takes you time to sit down and put those thoughts together, you know, to to make it take on. Because, like, most of your work, it takes on a life of its own. And, I mean, I know some people, depending on how they're reading, it may take offense to it. But, I mean, it's the emotions and feelings of the things that seem like around you and what's inside of you. And, I mean, if you're speaking to a certain person, I don't think that's your intent to do that on purpose. It's just the thoughts and, you know, the reactions that you feel that you put down on paper and in spoken word form. And, I mean, it takes an art to do that because a lot of folk can't put that together. They get, you know, writer's block. They get stumped. But if you can take living things, and can sit down and write 30 words about a living thing the way you do and put different aspects to it and, you know, make it a spoken word, that that takes skill. But it also takes time. And, I mean, how much time do you devote to each one of the poem pieces that you put together? Well, it all depends on my emotional state at that time. When I'm angry or sad, it tends to come out really quickly. But if I'm happier, if I'm more enthusiastic, it's going to take a little bit more time to create. Because I feel like with, with with the bad emotions, the words are just there. The ideas are there. But when it's happy and enthusiastic, it, it's, it's more complicated and hard for me. Well, how are you dicting it? Are you doing it with a palm palette, an old typewriter, manual, or the computer? <laughs> I just well, use my phone. Some actually do it in Word. I mean, they actually do it by recording it. I mean, what's what's your method of choice? I just type every poem that I write on my phone, and then it just mm-hmm. comes out the way I want it to. And then if I don't like it, I either edit it, or I change the title, or I change a word here and there. But eventually, I'll get to the point where I'm fully satisfied with it, and then I'll just try to get it published. Have you taken some of the pieces that didn't make it and took parts from them to create another piece? I have, You know, salvage it, salvage the work? I have, and it has worked in my favor numerous times. So that's why I tell people, if you feel like your work isn't good enough, just leave it there because it can inspire you later on or you can insert it to another piece that you're working on if you don't have any ideas. Well, aside from being a poet, an author, humanitarian, an activist, coming out of college, was there something specific that you really wanted to do other than this? Not necessarily because... Poetry has been with me since I was five, and it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. And a lot of people tend to say, oh, um, 
the poetry isn't going to get you anywhere. No one likes your poems. But I like my poems. Mm-hmm. I like them. They're good to me. And if you don't like them, that's your problem, not mine. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm noticing from as I go through you guys to do interviews with you, whether it's on Welcome to the Country or Blacktopia Presents, there are a lot of poets out there, but there are very few fine-tuned, spoken artists. And there is a big difference um, in, in the two. And I think for a lot of the artists out there, when they have a realization of what that is, their work can get that same accelerated credit that yours get and a few others as in Blacktopia. Um, I think they're still missing how to connect it and bring it all together, and that takes skill, that takes practice. It doesn't just happen overnight. And I think a lot of them, when they see a rap song or, you know, even an R&B lyric, the words rhyme when you say them. But even with that, like a nursery rhyme, that's not, a spoken word form. Tell everybody right quick, what's the difference between a nursery rhyme and a spoken word form? A nursery rhyme and a spoken word form is just complete gibberish. I feel like it's not genuine. It's not from the heart. It's not something that could really relate to someone going through tough times. So I feel like when you express yourself, you might as well say whatever you want while you still can, while you're still living, while you're still breathing. Because life is so short. Like, we shouldn't feel like no one cares about us or we don't have a voice because we all have a voice. We just Mm -hmm. need to be confident and express it. Okay. If you want to write about turtles, write about turtles. If if you want to write about a chair, write about a chair. Don't feel like your work isn't good enough to be published. Don't feel like your work isn't worthy. But is it good to get stuck in one general? I mean, you should be able to mix it up, move it around, and, and be able to, um, just like some artists can be able to do country, R&B, rap, jazz, same thing with a spoken word artist. Is it is it um cool or safe to just stick to one general? Can you you should be able to move it around and and do different aspects of a uh, spoken word form? Is it is it safe to just be stuck on one, or you need to be versatile? You need to be versatile because if you focus on one specific thing, you're not going to learn from the other things that are available to you. You're not going to get better ideas. You're not going to see things in a new light if you choose to stay to one specific thing. You're going to be stuck in the same place. You're not going to venture out. And, I mean, and really, to be truthfully, you can't really think of, I mean, at least think of 20 poems as a blessing on that one, that one subject. You know, instead of being able to pick different subjects and speak on each one of those. Because, I mean, I think that's what's happening with a lot of folks that have said that they've given up on doing it. They're they're stuck on one subject instead of um, being versatile and being able to move around. You have to be able to do that in order for um, people to understand what kind of person you are. See, that's how you're well-rounded 
and a lot of the other spoken artists uh, were, you know, uh, well-rounded because you guys can be able to move around within, you know, the setting and change it up, shift it up, and still come out with that same outcome of a perfect team. So, I mean, is it is it really hard for somebody to be able to do that once they get stuck, or, or can they be able to get some type of help getting out of that position? They can get help, but they shouldn't get too much help because at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own work. You shouldn't be so dependable on people. You should be able to have the wherewithal to find your niche, find your voice, find your pattern in which you write, and then go for it. And just be confident in what you do. Because if you're not confident, you're going to seek advice from other people. You're going to keep changing yourself. You're going to keep modifying your writing, modifying your perspective and ideas just to please everyone else. Okay. Well, I have learned a lot tonight. Jay, we got the last five minutes. Is there anything that you want to say to Daryl? I want to thank you for the interview on Welcome to the Country. Oh, yeah, Daryl, thank you. Thank you for the interview. I just want to let you know that uh, your poem, No Eyes, has just been uh, published on Black Lives. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, put that out on Facebook. Uh, Thank you for joining us. and uh, pretty much that's uh, that, that's it. Uh, let me see if uh, well, Daryl, is there is there anything else you would like to plug? Any social media? Any links? Anything like that? Well, you can find me on Facebook at Daryl Herbert, and you can find me on Instagram at Tales Life. That's T A L E S underscore Life. Definitely, definitely. And uh well, shoot, that's that's pretty much it. Oh wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. We got somebody else that wanna say something right quick. Birdman, is there anything you wanna say? We all we all finished or y'all done? I ain't got no more talking. They ain't got no more talking. Good night. All right, y'all have a good night. Good night. <laughs>